Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is the gospel lesson just read, especially these words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Dear friends in Christ, as we've all learned back in catechism class, the entire law, the entire Ten Commandments can be summed up into two statements, love for God and love for neighbor. That's how simple keeping the law sounds. I mean, it seems like it should be easy, right? Love God and love neighbor. Who couldn't do that? Well, there's one big problem with fulfilling the law in that way. And the problem is, is that there is something else that quite often we love more than God and more than neighbor. There's something else that we cherish more than anything else in the world. It's not God, it's not our neighbor, it's ourselves that we oftentimes love most of all. In fact, in the doctrine textbooks that pastors study, the definition of sin is just that loving self, being inwardly turned upon oneself, caring for oneself most. And that's what we've done since the moment that sin entered the world. In fact, that's how sin entered the world. Adam and Eve loved their own word more than that of God. This reality is being seen more than ever in our world today when love of self is more important than anything. The same thing is true in our text today. A lawyer comes to see Jesus to test him. He wants to know if Jesus is a true Jew or not. He wants to know if Jesus understands what the scriptures say in regards to how you're saved. And so he asks a question. And as he asks the question, think about where his focus is. He says, what must I do, Jesus? How can I inherit eternal life? The man is focused on himself. So Jesus looks him square in the eye and says, well, what does the Bible say? What's the law that's in the Bible say? How would you save yourself according to God's word? Have you read the Bible? The man says, of course I have, Jesus. I know how. You are to love God 
and your neighbor. Love is the way to save yourself. All you need is love, Jesus. Perfect love. Love is what brings us together. Love is what makes us get into heaven. Love is all you need to deserve heaven. He's right. Love for God and love for neighbor. All the law can be summed up in those two phrases. And Jesus tells him he's right. You are correct, Jesus says, if you do this, then you will live. It's only two letters long, but the word if is a terrible word at times. If you've loved God, if you've loved your neighbor, the man started looking back in his life over all the events and days and hours and minutes that had taken place, trying to decide if he had loved God and neighbor good enough for heaven. He loved God, or at least he thought so. After all, he went to church as often as he could be expected to. He went to church at least more than the other people at synagogue. So, check, I must have love of God down. But what about love of neighbor? Had he loved his neighbor? He felt like he'd certainly shown love to the people in his own town. Maybe he'd been kind, a nice guy, courteous, friendly. But what about those Roman occupiers? Did he have to love them? I mean, they exacted taxes from him. They subjugated his people. They treated them poorly. Were they neighbors? Or just foreigners, conquerors? Did he have to love them? What about the barbarian hordes over in Parthia, always threatening to invade on horseback to steal money and food and people? Did he have to love them also? What about those people living in far off Spain or Africa? or India, or China. By no stretch of the word could he think those are neighbors, right? And by the way, how would you even love them if you've never met them? Has he loved neighbor? Uncertain, he asks Jesus, 
a clarifying question. And the Bible says it in a very interesting way. He's not looking for an answer. Rather, he's seeking to justify himself, to declare himself righteous before God as if that was enough to get into heaven. He wants Jesus to say, no, you don't have to love the Romans. No, you don't have to love the Parthians. You don't have to love the people far off. When Jesus says those words, then he'll know that he's done enough to make God happy. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? Who do I have to love? Because I don't have time to love everybody. Jesus responds with our famous parable. A man was walking along a road from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was robbed, beat up, and left for dead in the ditch on the side of the road. A priest walked by, and seeing him, stepped around him, ignoring him, and going on his way. A little while later, a Levite, one of the holy house of Israel, also passed by. But he acted the same way. And finally, a Samaritan. You know, the Samaritans who were despised by the Jews, called half-breeds, one who was hated because of his slightly different worship, the Samaritan stops, kneels down, picks up the wounded man, places him on his own donkey, carries him to the nearest town and hotel. He gives up some of his own money to help the man. He pays for the best doctors available. He pays for medicine to help cure the wounds pouring on wine and oil. Not only that, he promises to come back and pay whatever future debts this man incurs in his recovery. And Jesus then says, that man is a neighbor. A neighbor is not just the person whose property abuts your own property. A neighbor is not just someone living in your own town. A neighbor's not just your fellow Lincolnite. It's not your fellow Good Shepherdian. Is that how we say it? A neighbor. It's not just somebody who wears a red shirt with an N on the front. A neighbor is something more. It's anyone that God places into your life for any short amount of time or long amount of time who has mercy upon you or who is in need of mercy from you. 
Now, dear friends, when we understand that's what a neighbor is, someone who can care for us or who needs care from us, and when we hear the law that we must love these neighbors perfectly, there's two ways that we can logically go, right? We can say to ourselves, ah, yes, I'm so holy, I'm so perfect, I have cared for all people everywhere. I love and care for those in Africa and China who are in need. I love and care for those even in places like Omaha or Kansas City or Boulder, Colorado. I love all these people. Look at me. We could say that, but it'd be a lie, right? We don't love all of our neighbors, even in our own town and family, let alone all the world. We could lie to ourselves so we felt better about it, but lies won't get us into heaven. Our second logical option is this. We can be honest with ourselves. We can speak the truth and say, I love mostly myself. I cater mostly to my own desires. I, like the Levite in our parable, drive by on the other side of the road when someone I don't know has a flat. I, like the priest, turn a blind eye to those in this world who truly are in need. I haven't fulfilled the law. I haven't loved neighbor. I haven't been perfect. Not even close. That's the truth. What follows right behind the truth is this fact as well. We cannot keep the law perfectly. We cannot earn heaven by our own merit or strength or reason. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We even confess that again in the small catechism. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. I can't do it because I'm too big a sinner, because I'm too guilty. And when we realize that truth, that we cannot justify ourselves, all that's left to do is beg God for mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Be gracious to me, a poor, sinful being. Dear Christian, 
Mercy is the very thing that God wishes to have on you. You see, there's one who loves perfectly. Even neighbors far off. There's one who loves even better than any good Samaritan ever could. The good Samaritan gives to the injured man of money and care, but there's one who gives even more, who gives us his life, who gives us his forgiveness, who gives us his salvation. And this one who loves perfectly all the neighbors in all the countries and cities and lands of the world this one is Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, that's the point of today's text. It's not some new law that tells us who your neighbors are and that you better get out and start serving them or you won't make it to heaven. That's true. But it seeks your eyes not to look inwardly anymore, but instead to look to Jesus. To see how Jesus is the true good Samaritan. To see how Jesus serves you in your everyday life. To see how Jesus provides for you all that you need to support your body and life. To see how Jesus has earned eternal life for you. To see how Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to make you a Christian. To see how Jesus gives and gives and gives to you without any merit or worthiness in yourself. To see how Jesus takes away all of your sin by suffering, bleeding, and dying on your behalf to see how Jesus has made you well. The point of the Good Samaritan parable is so that you might see Jesus, your God and your Savior. He pours not oil and wine upon your wounds, but instead water washing your guilt away in the waters of holy baptism. As those waters were placed on your head in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, your guilt was forever taken away from you. You became a Christian, one of the neighbors whom God loves and protects. Jesus buys food for you also, not mere bread and wine, but instead his own life-giving body and blood so that you might eat it and have life to the full. And Jesus promises to take you, not to the local inn or Motel 8, but instead to a room prepared for you from the beginning of eternity a heavenly, eternal, holy mansion where the wedding feast of God goes on forever and ever without end. Jesus promises to care for you as if you are his own brother or sister, wiping every tear from your eyes, every hurt 
and pain from you that you have faced in this world. Jesus is the best neighbor that you could possibly have. And once you realize that everything is about Jesus and that he will care and provide and sustain you forever and ever without end, another truth comes into clarity. Now you're free. Free to have mercy on the person sitting down the pew from you who's hurting. Because Christ has given all to you and keeps on giving, it means you have plenty to share. You're free to have mercy on the people living in Omaha, Kansas City, Boulder, China, Africa, because God's already given to you everything, which means you have some to spare. You're set free now to be able to take care of your neighbor with your finances, with your food, with your time, with your energy, with your love. Because all of those things begin as gifts from God. And as you care for your neighbor, you don't have to worry about if you're doing enough to earn heaven. You already have heaven. Jesus has already bestowed it upon you which sets you free to have that love and mercy without being afraid of God. Dear Christians, what must you do to earn eternal life? If you go in terms of the law, you must fulfill it perfectly. Love towards God, perfectly. Love towards neighbor, perfectly. And you've already failed. Or, on the other hand, you could be loved perfectly by Jesus, who died and rose for you, who gives his grace and mercy to you, who baptizes you, who feeds you with body and blood, who gives his word to you to make you a Christian. That way is certain. That way is sure. Jesus is your good neighbor, your good Samaritan. He's the one who's had compassion upon you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.